You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. In this episode of the Doheny Podcast, I'm pleased to bring you the story of a patient and her Doheny doctor, and they will both join me. All of us value our precious eyesight, and Lauren Dasher's vision is also part of her talent and her livelihood. As a producer for television, Lauren helps create shows by piecing together stories and choosing images. So when she started to notice something was not right in her left eye, she went to the doctor and embarked on an odyssey that's unfolded over the past year, including two cornea transplants. Lauren and her Doheny doctor, Olivia Lee, will now share that story with us. And a little bit of a spoiler, Lauren was so happy with the outcomes, which included some innovative treatment at Doheny, that she has created a fund to support Dr. Lee, a cornea specialist, in her research. So Lauren, let's start with you. Can you tell us how you became aware that something was going on in your left eye? Yes. So I was diagnosed with acanthamoeba keratitis, which is the name of the eye disease that I have, in 2017. But at first, I was misdiagnosed for nearly two months. The early symptoms I had were just a dry eye and kind of irritation when I had put my contacts in. Um, So I went in for a routine eye exam. And once I started undergoing treatment, it turns out my symptoms uh, flared up. Um, at which point I began my journey, if you will, um, undergoing treatment. I was under the care of both my original doctor and then I met Dr. Lee, who had done uh, two tests to confirm uh, my diagnosis. So when I first met Lauren, that was March of 2017, she, uh, as she said, been treated for a corneal infection in the left eye. And she was a contact lens wearer, and this is actually a very common scenario. So contact lens wearers are at a higher risk for corneal infection than non-contact lens wearers. And the symptoms that she's discussing, um, irritation, uh, feeling of dryness, that's not uncommon in contact lens wearers, even in the absence of infection. We do examine the cornea, and when we look at it, if there are signs of infection, um, the number one infection that will kind of will occur in a contact lens where is a bacterial infection, but other kinds of infection can occur as well. So it's not unusual for um, a patient like her with these symptoms and um, findings of an infection on the cornea to be treated um, for the most common types of infections first. But um, as her story, as she's introducing it, you're hearing that she was on some other treatments and things weren't improving. And so we're going from the more common now kind of down to the less common infections. And so acanthamoeba, which was her final diagnosis, is a parasitic infection with a one-celled organism. It's an amoeba. This organism lives in soil and in water. And in patients who have this type of infection in the eye, what commonly happens is they contract it from contaminated water. So contact lens wearers are constantly putting in and taking out this contact lens and you need to soak it in a solution, et cetera. If that contact lens comes into contact with dirty water, 
It could be from swimming, from a hot tub, from going out into a pool or a lake or the ocean, or even washing your contact lenses in um, homemade solution or tap water. That's how you can get the acanth amoeba organism onto the contact lens, which can then infect the cornea. And so, Lauren, at this time, you had gone from going into treatment and starting with eye drops, and at this point, we're losing some vision. Is that right? The early symptoms of you know dryness and discomfort with my contact lenses, once I had started um, treatment for infection, that's really when my eye started showing, I think, more typical symptoms of uh, acanth amoeba. So my eye became very red, um, irritated. Um, my eyelid would swell and my, uh, I had extreme light sensitivity, uh, and my eye would essentially, uh, tear at the sensation of receiving light and just trying to work normally, essentially. So yeah, that was kind of the progression in the early phases. And then as I started treatment with compounded medications, these are specialty drops that are formulated in a clean lab to treat acanth amoeba and happen to be just extremely toxic, they kind of exacerbate um, the symptoms that also coincide with the disease. And they also cause scarring to the cornea, as well as the infiltrates of the disease itself, both kind of are like a perfect storm, as I would describe it as, for creating difficulties with vision and then ultimately leading to blindness. So things were becoming increasingly complicated. Your vision was worsening, and then you had a new doctor and a new diagnosis. So what did the path ahead start looking like after your first consultation with Dr. Lee? After meeting with Dr. Lee, um, she actually worked in consultation um, with another doctor um, who was the lead um, on my case at the time. So after a few months of treatment, the infection progressed, and due to both the disease and the treatment itself, um, the cornea was thinning um, to the point where I was at risk for my cornea to rupture, at which point um, my doctor had decided a corneal transplant was the next best to take um, in my course of treatment. Dr. Lee, can you, can you explain that? The treatment for acanth amoeba, we start with eye drops. And as Lauren has said, these eye drops are not easily available. You have to get them from a special pharmacy. They are very toxic because this organism is very, very difficult to kill. And in her case, as with uh, many other patients, it's a really fine balance when you treat these patients between trying to kill the organism and trying to control the toxicity to healthy tissue. Um, And also, as the organism is dying, the patient's immune system is reacting to those dying organisms. So it's like a really difficult seesaw balancing act that you have to play. And in her case, um, that balance was so difficult to strike that as we're treating the infection, even though the complical microscopy that was done during the time was showing that the organisms, we were seeing less of the organisms, we're seeing a lot of inflammation. And as she said, the cornea was starting to thin. So the cornea, for everyone, some background information, is the thin, clear covering in front of the colored part of your eye, 
when you put a contact lens on, you're putting it on the cornea. The normal cornea is about half a millimeter in thickness, so it's thin to begin with. And when you have an infection of any kind, it is potentially dangerous because you can lose thickness of the cornea. And at a certain point, when you're too thin, it's just dangerous because, as Lauren said, you could actually rupture your cornea. If you have a frank hole in the cornea, that's called a corneal perforation. And think of it like the eye is a water balloon. If you have a hole in the water balloon, then it's potential, there's potential for the inner contents of the eye to come out of that hole. That is an emergency. So we, we consider a perforation of the cornea an emergent issue that requires urgent surgery. Um, so in her case, that decision had been made by her doctor, and that is why she had her first corneal transplant. So there was complexity in this case, and also, as you said, Dr. Lee, a balancing act. Can you talk about your ideas for a path forward? At this point, um, Lauren would visit us periodically, mostly to get uh, confocal microscopies done to monitor her progress. Um, but she was mostly seeing another doctor who was also the one who did the corneal transplant. But we didn't disagree with that decision because, as I said, when you're at the point of being at risk for the cornea perforating or the cornea has already perforated, that is a surgical emergency and it needs to be fixed surgically or else you're at risk for permanently losing vision or permanently even losing the eye. So you're monitoring, and what happens next? Um, I think Lauren can tell you what happened next, and then I'll interject. Yeah, so after I received a corneal transplant, my eye actually did heal pretty rapidly, but within about a month's time, I had what was believed to be either a rejection of the cornea or signs of rejection that, looking back, was actually just the beginning stages of the acanth amoeba forming again in the new cornea. So all of the symptoms returned. I was continuing treatment with the toxic eye drops and lost my vision again. And my case quickly, within a few months' time, became very complicated, at which point I was transferred into Dr. Lee's care full-time. Wow. Okay. So as you said, you were recovering well, and then things took a turn and you came back to Dr. Lee's care. So can you talk about the consultation at that intersection, Dr. Lee? We brought her in, did a scan, and we could unfortunately see the organisms in the brand new cornea. So that told us right away which direction to go. So after that, I said, we got to just treat this as aggressively as we possibly can. So Lauren has already told you how horrible it is to take these really toxic eye drops, but that's what we had to do to get rid of the um, infection. So we gave her a lot more of these eye drops, and we also started a new oral medication. Um, and actually, Lauren is the one who educated me about that. And um, maybe, Lauren, you want to talk a little bit about the Impavito, and then I can explain also. Sure. So at this point, I had had one transplant and was on, you know, all the medications known to be effective for the treatment of acanth amoeba. And in doing some research and actively being a part of a social media group for people suffering with acanth amoeba keratitis, I had connected with this group 
And in getting some information and kind of digging a little bit deeper, I found out about Impavito. It's a drug that got um, orphan drug approval by the FDA for the treatment of AK. And so I was in touch with a few people who had tried the drug and experienced um, uh, some positive results, in fact, saying that it really kind of turned their case around. Um, and in addition to the drops, which is another way to go about fighting the disease. And so I had brought the drug information to Dr. Lee um, and spoke to her a little bit about, about it. And um, thankfully, she was open to, to trying it, even though, um, you know, she hadn't had experience. Um, treating patients with it thus far. Right. So I was just going to say that I think a lot of listeners might be interested in the self-advocacy piece. And also, Dr. Lee, if you can explain a little bit what the orphan drug status is. So as Lauren has said, she's part of this um, Facebook group. um, And I actually, until that point, did not know there were Facebook groups for diseases. And she actually is so involved in her own care. She knows I think, just as much about her disease as I do. And so when she told me about this um, new medication that had just received um, this FDA approval for the treatment of acanthamoeba, I was really interested. Um, And I did a literature search, and there was no publications on the efficacy of this medication for this particular indication. Um, But as she said, this medication does have um, an FDA orphan drug designation for AK. So what that means is that this drug is approved for something else. It is approved for the treatment of leishmaniasis, which is not what Lauren has. It's a tropical disease that has spread um, by sand flies, and it's a different kind of amoeba, different kind of parasite, um, and that's not what she has. But that medication also has um, the ability to kill the acanthamoeba organism. So the FDA has allowed this medication to be used for the treatment of acanthamoeba uh, without having specific data on its efficacy um, because of this orphan, because of the orphan drug act. So acanthamoeba is a very rare condition. And so because of that, um, there is this orphan drug status that a medication can achieve if it's, if they want to treat a very rare uh, condition. And, you know, she has already told you we're not even at the end of her story, and she's already gone through this roller coaster ride. And I'm already trying to treat it with as much um, aggressive therapy as possible. But all I have is are the drops, and she's on multiple eye drops at this point. Um, they're all compounded. One of them she gets from overseas because it's not available in the United States. So I was willing to try anything um, for her benefit. I really didn't want her to very quickly thereafter have to have another corneal transplant, another, another, or lose her eye. She's such a young person. She has her whole life to live. I didn't want it to be consumed by this one problem. And was it simply a matter of prescribing it to have access to that, Dr. Lee? Well, I'll say on my side, I just prescribed it. And then from there, it wasn't necessarily easy to get it. Again, Lauren is very proactive and I don't have many patients who are even half as proactive as she is. So she's been in contact with the manufacturer and she knows exactly um, where to get the medication. And we've called her 
to help other patients try to get the medication as well. So maybe Lauren can tell you about that part. So like I said uh, earlier, the Incovito uh, drug, I found out about this from other patients uh, with AK who, like myself, um, had been uh, undergoing treatment for, you know, over six months going on closer to a year um, on the the drops and various topical medications and uh, other oral medications as well with no um, kind of ended sight, I guess you can say. Um, so when I found out about it, I had done some research myself with putting contact with the manufacturer um, who, in fact, a lot of people are, find it very difficult to have this drug covered by their insurance um, for various reasons. And so the manufacturer actually donates this medication um, to those who are unable to, to source it through insurance or maybe can't afford it. And so luckily, actually, Dr. Lee um, called my insurance and helped me go through the process of getting it approved um, so that it could be covered it is considered, you know, uh, you know, tier four or like highest level medication in terms of its cost um, because it's just a very expensive um, medication for, you know, the treatment of these rare diseases. Um, and so I've actually stayed in contact with the manufacturer over the course of my treatment to make sure that I could get, you know, a supply sent to Los Angeles overnight from Florida, which is where they're based. Um, and, you know, in contact with them regarding various side effects and symptoms I was having related to the medication to see if those were, quote unquote, normal and reporting that back to Dr. Lee. So, Dr. Lee, you started to see improvement quickly? Yes. Actually, I was so impressed with the improvement she made. She just turned a corner and at one point, I even thought, wow, this cornea is clearing. It's healing really nicely. And the confocal, the confocal microscopy images were showing that the acanthamoeba organisms were decreasing rapidly, uh, almost to the point where I didn't think there was any more acanthamoeba in there at all. So, Lauren, you felt yourself to be on the road to recovery then, I suppose? Yeah, I would say... I would definitely describe my overall case and uh, dealing with this, this disease as a roller coaster. It was very difficult, <laughs> both like physically and mentally and emotionally. And I was, but at that point, I would say that I I had a glimmer of hope um, that I was going to recover. And at that point, can you just uh, fill us in, how was your vision and were you experiencing any pain? At that point, my vision was still uh, poor. The blindness um, is kind of twofold with AK, uh, meaning the, the drops in the treatment often cause scarring of the cornea. And so the scarring could also impede your, your vision. But in addition, the actual infiltrate uh, or AK, how it looks on the cornea, it's actually like a white ring. And that was kind of sitting in the middle of my eye. So that also affects your, your vision. So um, unfortunately, that hadn't improved, but I was starting to feel better. Um, the pain was subsiding uh, and uh, the redness and inflammation as well. And Dr. Lee, um, her prognosis at this point? I was so thrilled at that point that 
I, um, I was thinking, wow, I have to start this medication for all my patients with AKM's amoeba and I should, you know, we should start it soon. Um, and especially looking at how, how much better she felt and the confocal microscope images that we were getting, it was undeniable that the amount of organism that used to be there and then after the treatment, how I could barely, I, I don't think we saw any. I really thought there were no acanthamoeba organisms at all. And so I, at that point, I thought this is a miracle drug. Um, unfortunately, that, that feeling didn't you know, persist and last until now um, because we did hit a little bit of a complication. And maybe Lauren can tell you how that presented. Um, in retrospect, um, we've all, both of us, have learned a lot about this medication. And so while it is great at killing the organism, um, we did learn something from this next part of the story. Yeah, so after about a month of being on Impavito, showing signs of improvement, um, I was also experiencing a lot of side effects particularly GI problems, like uh, just general fatigue, but also like vomiting and, you know, really not feeling just extremely sick. And so at the time, this was around the holidays, and we had decided to take a break from the medication to see if that helped at all um, with the symptoms I was experiencing with side effects. And so a roughly one week of being off the medication, I had uh, what AK patients refer to as a flare-up. So I had a huge flare-up of redness, swelling, and just excruciating pain uh, to the point where I really could not open my eye um, at all. Uh, there was, I had both pain inside the eye and nerve pain uh, in my head, alongside my eye, um, and it was just, it felt like an overnight change or shift right when I was starting to feel better. Okay, so how did treatment continue at this juncture, Dr. Lee? Around this time, it was about Christmas time, and um, it was such a horrible way for all of us to experience the holidays when, we, when I was so happy with how she had been doing. So my initial thought was, of course, wow, I had just stopped the medication and now she's gotten worse. It must be the acanthamoeba coming back. That was my immediate thought. And so um, we did another culture. We did confocal microscopy. We did everything we had done at the very beginning. And we, you know, we tried to hit it hard thinking again, be really aggressive because it had all come back and we did all those things. But the funny thing is I never really could confirm that, the organism had come back. And so after um, restarting the Intavito and again, hitting it hard with all these really toxic drops, she wasn't really getting any better. And, you know, the cornea was looking terrible at this point. And I really started to think, is it really that the organism has come back or is it something else? And I think, you know, Lauren and I discussed this and I, and I told her, I'm not 100% sure about this because, you know, we don't have a lot of experience with this medication. But my suspicion after initiating all the medication back again and um, being, you know, really diligent about watching her carefully, I started to suspect maybe it's not that the infection came back, but that the 
um, medication, the Impavito, was so good at killing the organism that her body, her own immune, immune system, was reacting against all of those dying organisms and creating a whole lot of inflammation in the eye. Because inflammation in the absence of infection can cause redness and pain and swelling and causing the cornea to become white. Um, so, you know, I, Lauren and I kind of took a leap of faith and we, um, I actually gave her oral steroids, which um, I think was, would be considered kind of controversial. But, um, you know, I, luckily I kind of went with my instincts thinking I put all the pieces together and it just didn't really make any sense, particularly the confocal microscopy images didn't, didn't confirm that the infection had come back. So she took a short course of oral steroids, which is also, you know, has side effects. And I'm not trying to say that every patient with acanthamoeba should take this. I'm certainly not saying that because that this is very controversial. But in this particular circumstance, I, you know, I, I went to sleep thinking about this. And so we, we tried it very, very cautiously. And she was in my office all the time. And it, it did calm things down. And I think what we have learned is that this medication, the Impavito, is so good at killing the organism that the patient themselves will then react to the dying organism. And that doesn't mean that the infection has come back. So ultimately, the cornea was not rejected. Is that also what you're telling us? Well, by that point, it, I didn't really care whether the cornea was clear or not clear. So if it was that, I mean, I guess you could call it that. But um, in in the sense of a corneal rejection, we're talking about the immune system is reacting simply to the fact that the cornea doesn't belong to that patient. But, you know, in this particular case, I don't think it was the fact that the cornea didn't belong to her, but the in inflammation, the source of the inflammation was targeted against the dying organism. And there's not really a lot of patients who have taken this medication, much less doctors who have prescribed it. But in my conversations with other doctors, with all of our limited experience, this seems to be um, a unifying theme. Okay, so in the beginning of the yeah. new year, you introduced this treatment. You saw, as you said, the a calming down of the symptoms. And what happened next? After I was uh, given the oral steroids, my body actually did calm down, um, and we reached um, what I think was a really good balance of both topical steroids um, to kind of keep the inflammation down, um, as well as the the drops, um, the uh, the compounded drops that uh, are used to treat AK. At that time, we also added an additional drop that is not available in the United States um, along with the Impavito. And again, my eye actually did start to progress and the infection um, seemed to be getting better based on uh, the testing. But within a couple months time, because of the, uh, the treatment um, of the eye and the way things were progressing, my eye, began to thin again, um, and we actually were able to treat that um, with a procedure where my cornea was actually glued um, to prevent the perforation that I was at risk for at the beginning of my uh, treatment as well, 
and uh, my eye actually healed from there. And then from that point, my eye started to deteriorate again, despite its healing and just couldn't, um, there was a defect on my cornea that actually just was persistently not healing. And so uh, we had done another test to see what was going on um, with the eye, another uh, corneal scraping. And we found out that I actually had a bacterial infection. And the bacterial infection was actually what was causing this rapid thinning of my eye or the inability of my cornea to heal. At that time, she took, after the oral steroids, you know, things, all the inflammation calmed down. I thought that the infection and the inflammation were relatively um, well-balanced and they were under control at that point. But she never really properly healed from the corneal transplant and the things that had happened after the corneal transplant. It's really hard to heal the cornea when you're slamming it with all these toxic medications because the medications have to be strong in order to combat this, uh, this parasite that will go into a cystic form and it has this wall around the organism that's almost impenetrable. So drops have to be really, really strong in order to try to get through that and to try to kill the organism. So that's not going to be something that's friendly to her tissue as well. So the end result of that was that the center of the cornea never really properly healed. And if it doesn't heal, it will slowly thin, even if it's not infected. And so I didn't want it to get to that point where we talked about before, if the cornea thins too much, then you're worried that the cornea will perforate and all of those complications that um, are a surgical emergency. So to hold off the possibility of doing another transplant, I really didn't want her to have another transplant if there was any question of any kind of infection at that point. So we temporized the solution, uh, we temporized the situation with a procedure um, that involves application of a medical grade glue to the cornea. It's actually a medical grade super glue, very same substance that super glue is made of. And we place a tiny bit of that onto the cornea to help it uh, stop the process of thinning and um, hold it off and so that it won't perforate. And that glue was on there for quite a while. And eventually um, she did develop a bacterial infection. And that can happen when you have any kind of wound or open sore anywhere in your body. If, it, if you have an open wound that doesn't heal, bacteria can get in. Any kind of organism can get in. Um, you know, if I had to choose between having a bacterial infection or an acanthamoeba infection in my eye, I, you know, neither is good. I would rather have a bacterial infection. We are much more experienced in taking care of bacterial infections. It's we have access to better drugs. The drugs aren't as toxic. They still are toxic. But um, so as Lauren has explained, we did another culture, and thankfully that one didn't grow acanthamoeba. It grew a bacteria, a very common bacteria that I'm sure you've all heard of called strep. And it being a relatively common bacteria, the um, medications that treat it are just antibiotics, and we have good access to antibiotic eye drops. So we were able to use those antibiotic eye drops to treat the bacterial infection. At this point, um, when we realized I had a bacterial infection, I started a medication to treat the bacterial infection. And, and 
Um, my eye was getting better, but very slowly. And the drops to treat the bacterial infection as well as the AK were, again, uh, thinning my eye. But luckily, we were able to do another confocal testing, and it appeared as though there was possibly no sign of AK. So we decided to do a corneal transplant, at which point I had the transplant done. And after the surgery, the old cornea was tested and the results came back that there was no AKF amoeba present in the old cornea. And then I got another final confocal test done of the new cornea once it had healed. That also showed no signs of AKF amoeba in the new transplant. When you introduced the fact that you were going to have a second corneal transplant, you talked about it in a very breezy and casual way. I'm sure that most people, even the idea of one corneal transplant is rather daunting and listening to you unfold your story and tell your story about really the partnership and the relationship that Dr. Lee and you created through your own self-advocacy, her expertise, her confidence in herself and you and willingness to collaborate is really an unbelievable story. I'm wondering if both of you could just talk a little bit about the personal impact of working together. I really give Lauren so much credit for really understanding her condition, understanding this disease, and even in the face of dealing with all of this herself, which is, as you've heard, not easy and Um, she hasn't even mentioned to you, you know, what impact it has made on her job, her daily life, um, and just her ability to do things on that she would have, that the rest of us take for granted. It would be easy for a person to say, like, I give up. I don't, I don't care anymore. I don't want this cornea, like get it out. I just want to, you know, I don't want to do any of these medications anymore. It would be so easy for her to just say that. Um, and I've had, you know, patients who, you know, don't stay compliant with the medications because they're not easy to deal with. So I think for Lauren, she is her own self-advocate, but she actually really, really also wants to help other people understand what's going on. She's really active in this Facebook group. And in relation to the part of the story she's just told, having another corneal transplant, I didn't want to do it. Like I'm a corneal transplant surgeon and I love to operate, but I really didn't want to do another corneal transplant on her until much later. You know, I think in this kind of situation, finding the right time to do the surgery is critical because if you do the surgery when uh, the infection is still there, then the infection can come back in the new cornea. If you wait too long and the cornea already perforates, then what if the patient has some terrible complication and loses the vision before you get the chance to go to the operating room? It's such a fine balance. And um, so Lauren and I talked about this over and over again. And I tried to proceed as cautiously as possible with her. And so I was constantly asking her to come back to the office. And sometimes I would, we would meet two times a week. Um, and so, you know, that's a lot for a person to see a doctor twice a week that for this many months, it's, it's a lot to ask for. And she's dealt with it so wonderfully. And I think every patient's dream is to have a doctor who treats her with the kind of caution and care that she would treat herself. Lauren, can you talk a little bit about the personal side, sort of the impact on you throughout this whole roller coaster work-wise and, as you said, taxing not only physically but also emotionally? 
I think that it's accurate to describe acanth amoeba. It is a rare disease. And I think, unfortunately, because of how common it is to experience misdiagnosis and just the length of the treatment, the difficulty of the treatment itself, all the symptoms that you have to incur, it just made a huge impact on my life. Unfortunately, um, it made it just impossible to be able to live life normally. I lost the vision in my left eye kind of drastically without knowing that that was something that I would experience. And in addition to that, just, you know, chronic pain, fatigue, um, the side effects of both the disease and the treatment itself, just very debilitating. The biggest factor in keeping me hopeful and going is that there is the capability to have corneal transplants, to have a doctor like Dr. Lee, who is extremely caring and has always treated my case as a collaboration. I always felt like I could ask any of the questions that I needed to ask, get all the information I needed to make informed decisions. And I could advocate for myself. In fact, she encouraged it. So uh, I think that that made a big difference for me to feel like I was a part of my health care, um, particularly because it's so rare and there are so little um, both doctors and patients dealing with this infection, very little information out in the world. Like many people, you were inspired to search for answers, even in your own time. And as you have experienced your treatment, you were also inspired to help other people. Can you talk a little bit about your support of Dr. Lee's research? Actually, in conjunction with Rare Disease Day, which is the last day in February every year, I had spoke to Dr. Lee about her work um, in acanth amoeba and research and, you know, what I could do um, to participate beyond my own care to ensure that there was more information out there or, you know, what what can I do? And at the time, um, the confocal testing, which is a research tool used for acanth amoeba, but also other corneal diseases, was in need for funding to continue to use that tool for research for myself and other acanth amoeba patients and other patients. I decided to work with Dr. Lee to create a research fund to support um, the confocal testing. I shared that with my family and friends, along with my story about contracting AK and what it was about to spread awareness so that people understood more about the disease that it even existed, how, um, what the symptoms were, and then in addition, shared that research fund, um, which did yield a great amount of support um, that was able to help both my case and continuing my ability to get the testing done, as well as um, many others at Doheny Eye Institute. So I think it's safe to say, Lauren, that it's not just a good outcome for you, but through your generosity and your determination, you've actually helped a team of doctors think about how to use a diagnostic tool that they had to help other people and study the course of the same disease that you have. And I can't really think of a more interesting and collaborative tale of a patient and a doctor. Thank you both so much for sharing the story. You're welcome. It's uh, a pleasure to be uh, with you today, Sharon, but really the pleasure um, for me is to have been able to be a part of this story and that the story ended happily 
um, and for all of you to hear from the patient side, because I've done this podcast before, and I know a lot of my colleagues do it, and there's, you know, we have a lot of um, medical information to share with you all, but I'm so glad you get to hear something from the patient's perspective. Um, and in particular, this Lauren's story is really, it's, I mean, I could tell you from my own side and it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. You know, you see that this has really affected her so deeply and um, to go through this up and down thing is just so emotional. Um, and I get caught up in it too. And, you know, we're just all rooting for her to have a good outcome. And luckily she has. And not only that, giving the gift to other patients who might be on the same path coming along behind you, Lauren, is there anything else you'd like to say? I just want to say thank you um, for having me. I think it's really important for me to share my story. I don't know if I would say unfortunately, but I'm I'm fortunate to have had the Doheny Eye Institute um, and be under the care of Dr. Lee throughout my experience with AK. Thank you both. And your story actually continues as the research that you collaborated on will touch other people's lives. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Yeah, Um, thank you. If you'd like to participate in supporting Dr. Lee's research, you can go to doheny.org backslash donate, click on giving, and type in Olivia Lee, MD, confocal microscopy. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.